when you think about your lives and the circumstances in your lives and the people in your lives, you, like everyone else around us, make decisions on how we react and act to the circumstances in our lives and the people in our lives, heavily dependent upon how we see our world. Like how we look at our world significantly impacts how we react and act in regard to the circumstances, the situations, and the people in our lives. And you can really boil down the way that you and I react to things and people in our lives into two basic arenas. One is the basis of how we feel, what we think about something. So if I, if I like how someone or some situation makes me feel, and I think positively about that, then I'm going to be acting and reacting in a way that encourages that situation or that relationship to continue because I like how it feels. I like what I think about it. It makes sense to me. So my actions are motivated by my feelings and my thoughts about the situation of the people that I'm relating to. That's one way to think about the world, the way to act and react in regard to our circumstances. The other lens that we can use is the lens I call revelation. So we're acting and reacting to the circumstances and the relationships in our lives on the basis of who Jesus is and what Jesus says. And those are really the two basic approaches we take to life. We are either reacting and acting in our circumstances and in our relationships of life based on how we feel about those things or those people, think about them and whether it makes sense, whether I like it, whether it feels good or bad, whatever. Or we are actually making decisions about how we will act towards others and in circumstances on the basis of who Jesus is and what Jesus says. And for those of us who have made the decision to follow Jesus Christ, we know that if we act simply and only on the basis of how we feel and what we may think in any given moment about a circumstance or a person, that that's not getting up in a good place for us. Let me just take, for example, your neighbors or your coworkers. Maybe you have a neighbor or maybe you have some coworkers that you don't particularly enjoy being around because they don't really like you. And you've picked up on that. Maybe there's a Halloween party at your workplace on Monday night and you notice the invitations went out to everybody in the office except you. Um, you know, we have those situations in life where, where we pick up on maybe people don't necessarily like us. We're not really jiving with them. Maybe they grate on us. And if we react to them and we decide to act towards them on the basis of how we feel, what we think about the situation, then most of us in here will have the tendency to find reasons that we don't need to be around them, that something else is better, that Maybe avoiding their particular office is a, is a quicker way to my office or whatever. We, we begin to act in a way that is in response to how we feel about them. Now that becomes a real problem when we entertain the fact that Jesus Christ has clearly commanded followers of Christ to love people. 
to actually be a tangible demonstration of the love of Christ and to convey to them through words that Jesus Christ loves them, that he died for them, that he has come, that they might have life and have it to the full, that they might experience the forgiveness of their sins. It is very difficult to communicate and to demonstrate the love of Christ for people in our lives if we are reacting and acting towards them on the basis of how we feel about them and we don't like them. It's not going to work out too good. However, if we make the decision that though feelings and thoughts about circumstances of people are not necessarily wrong in and of themselves, but should not be the only basis by which we determine how we act, but that we should as followers of Christ have as our primary motivation and basis for acting towards people what Jesus says and who he is, then we will move past how we feel about somebody that might be a detriment to following Christ because we are going to do what God says regardless or in the midst of how we feel. And so instead of avoiding the person we don't like, we reminded that God says he loved us when we were enemies of him. That when we sinned against him, he chose to demonstrate his love towards us and sending Christ to die for us. I'm not, I'm pretty convinced that there's nobody in our lives that is going to so wrong any one of us that we have an argument against God that we don't need to love them because of what they did to us. You see, all of a sudden, I am now moved to love someone who has not loved me, who is not worthy of the honor of my attention, that I can now give them this love and honor because I am keenly aware of the love and honor I've received from Christ, though completely unworthy of it. And though they may not like me and I may not feel very good about how they treat me, there is a greater motivation to my action. And it is who Jesus is and what Jesus says. And I will begin to act in love towards them, not expecting love in return, but acting to them on the basis of how I have been treated by God. I'm convinced that for you and me as followers of Jesus Christ, if we simply act and react on the basis of how we feel or what we think in any given moment, we're going to really mess things up. And we've got to be a people that order our lives on the basis of who Jesus is and what Jesus has said. And I'm really thankful this morning Revelation chapter 2 verses 8 through 11 because in this passage we will have direct encouragement from Jesus Christ himself towards us as a church to do the very thing I've just outlined. So let's look at Revelation chapter 2 starting in verse 8. This is the letter to the church at Smyrna. Smyrna was located where today modern-day Izmir is in Turkey. So if you look at the map of Turkey, you find Izmir, that's where Smyrna was. Izmir is built on Smyrna. Smyrna Smyrna in the day this was written was a gorgeous city, a beautiful city. But the the church in Smyrna living in this beautiful, amazing city is, is far from experiencing a tranquil life. They are in the midst of great challenge. 
Will they choose to live their lives on the basis of how their circumstances and the relationships around them make them feel? Or will they choose another way? Look at what Jesus says. So verse 8. To the messenger of the church in Smyrna write, the one who is first and last, who was once dead but has now come to life, says this. The very first thing that Jesus communicates to the church of Smyrna is who he is. This should remind us of the vision of Jesus back in chapter 1. And Jesus is calling their attention, the church's attention to who he is. And he says to them, I am the first and the last. I am the bookends of all of creation. I made it all from the very beginning. I will be there until the very end. I am the first and the last and everything in between I control. There's not a thing in your life I do not understand. There's not a thing in your life I'm not aware of. There's not a thing in your life that I'm not in full control of. I am the first and the last. All of creation is being sustained by me. And he says, I want you to know that I was the one who died. Now, think about this. Jesus says, I'm the one who created everything, sustains all of creation, and I stepped into the creation I sustain. And I subjected myself to creation. And when my creation rejected me, I laid down my life and died. But death could not hold me. See, my death was purposeful because my death I can overcome the death that's against you and your rebellion against me. And he says, I came back to life. I'm alive. The one who died is now alive. I entered creation and I created a remedy for all of you. And he's saying to the church at Smyrna, I want you to remember who I am. Would you please see who I am? Because this is exactly who you need right now. Right now, where you are, as a church, you need to see this about me. And he just unveils it to them. And he begins to explain to them what's going. He goes, hey, verse 9, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. I know that you are slandered from those who call themselves Jews, but they are not but are instead of the synagogue of Satan. He says right now, I know what you're going through. I know that you're struggling. I know that living in Smyrna is not easy. I know that you're experiencing tribulation and your difficulty for following Christ has resulted in your poverty and that you don't have stuff for your basic needs. I understand what's happening with you. I'm there. I'm there with you. I'm the one who walks amidst the seven lampstands. I'm right there with you. I hold it in my hands. I'm the first and the last. I overcame death itself. I get where you are. But I want you to be reminded that though you are suffering and in poverty, you are rich you can choose to see only the suffering you can choose to see only the poverty and you might conclude if that's all you look at that I'm not there that I'm not helping you 
that I'm not who I said I am, that things aren't working out the way you thought they would. Or in the midst of your trouble and your poverty, you can choose to see that you are in fact rich. Because if you've trusted in me, you belong to me. If you've followed me, I've overcome sin and death, and I have given you the riches of forgiveness stored up in me for those who put their faith in me. You are rich. You are a child of the King. You are a son and daughter of God Most High. All I have and all that I own and all that I control, I am concerned about you. You may feel poor right now, but don't forget that you are rich. Don't just think about your life on the basis of how you feel. What's most obvious about your immediate circumstances. No, please, please remember that though you're poor, I've made you rich. And then he says, I know that you're experiencing slander from the Jews. Now consider this, of all the people in Smyrna, that the Christians might think they had a chance to be okay with, it would be the Jews. Because they believe in the God that the Christians follow. And yet the Jews here are slandering the believers in Smyrna. They have rejected Jesus Christ and they are attacking those who are following Christ. And the Lord Jesus says to the church at Smyrna, those people who are telling you that they are my people and that you are not, who are making you feel rejected, outcast, and under persecution. I want you to remember that I'm the one who decides who's mine. And because they've rejected me, they don't belong to me like you do. You are mine. Don't Determine what you're going to do and how you're going to react on the basis of how you feel that the people who say they're my people are coming against you. No, you determine what you will do on the basis of what I say and who I am. And what I'm telling you right now is that you belong to me more than they do because you have trusted in me as your Lord and Savior. Trust me. And, And then he says to him, look at this. The next thing he says to him is, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Now think about that for a second. I know you're already having some trouble. I know you're already experiencing slander. I know you're already experiencing suffering. But don't be afraid, it's going to get worse. Notice what he says here. Don't fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have suffering for 10 days. Only 10 days. That's good news. All right, there's something good here. Remain faithful unto death. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I expected a little better ending at the end of 10 days than death. Be faithful unto death, and I will give to you the crown of life. The one who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who overcomes will not be harmed by the second death. Jesus says, I get what you're going through. 
And I want to encourage you to make sure you see what you're going through, not just through how you feel about it, but what I say about it. Though you're suffering and in poverty, you are rich. Though the people who say they belong to me reject you, I have not rejected you. You belong to me. Don't be afraid when it goes from bad to worse. Do you, want, do you know when it becomes most apparent how do we order our lives? It becomes most apparent how we order our lives, whether or not we're determining how we act and react to the things around us based on how we feel and what we think, or whether or not we are determining how we act and react on the basis of what God says and who God is. It becomes most apparent when things go from bad to worse. And things are fixing to go from bad to worse in the life of the church at Smyrna. And Jesus says to them, don't fear. Don't let your feelings win out. Is Jesus saying, don't be afraid at all? Don't feel fear? He's not telling them not to have feelings. He's saying, don't let your feelings win out over who you are. You need to make sure I win out over who you are and what you do. Don't be afraid. Things need to go from bad to worse. The devil is going to come and throw some of you into prison. Now, if I'm listening to these words, I'm thinking, what in the world's Jesus trying to communicate here? Don't be afraid. The devil is going to come and throw some of us into prison. And, it's, and after 10 days of the luxury of prison, some of us are going to die. Don't be afraid. Are you serious? You know what that's like? That's like a dad who grabs his seventh grade boy on the night before football practice goes full pads. And he says to his son, I know you're excited about football, but I can tell you're a little bit anxious about moving into pads tomorrow. I know that it's been challenging, the workouts and, you know, the difficulty of the coach yelling at you. And I know you're excited, but I know you're a little anxious about getting into full pads tomorrow. Tomorrow you get into full pads, people are going to be banging on you, crushing your life. I know you're a little nervous about that tonight, but son, I don't want you to be afraid about getting into full pads. I don't want you to think about the fact that 40% of 7th graders just like you in the first week of football practice break a bone. I don't want you to think about that, son. I, want you to, I don't want you to be afraid tomorrow at practice. And don't you worry about the fact that when you get pads on, you start going through these hard workouts and some kids suffer dehydration. Don't worry about that. Don't be anxious over the fact that you might collapse there in the middle of the field thirsty because you haven't been able to get enough water in those pads because you're sweating so much. Don't be nervous about that, son. I don't want you to be afraid tomorrow in full contact practice. I don't want you to be nervous about the fact that last year in football, 10,000 kids just like you all over the nation who suited out for football got in their pads and got in their helmets ended up with a concussion. Don't let that bother you, boy. Don't be afraid getting on those pads. There's only a couple dozen people who died last year playing football. <laughs> Don't be afraid. I mean, if you're that seventh grade boy, you're going to quit the next day, aren't you? It's like, I'm not going to be afraid because I'm not going out there, Dad. And it kind of feels like when Jesus says to the church of Smyrna, Don't be afraid. Because tomorrow the devil's going to show up and throw you into prison. And 10 days later, you're going to die. Don't be afraid. Jesus is aware 
And so many of our circumstances create major emotions. And that our tendency is to react on the basis of how we feel. And Jesus is just saying there's a higher reason for you to order your life. And it's who I am. And it's what I say. When the devil shows up and he takes you guys to prison, you're probably going to be scared. When 10 days later you're executed for your faith, you're probably going to be afraid right before you die. But I want you to know you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to act in fear. You don't have to act like you're afraid of anything because listen to this. I've already been there and that's what I'm telling you what's going to happen. So that you know that I've already been there, that I'm the first and the last, that I'm still in complete control. And you get in that moment, you'll know that I'm going to meet you in that moment. Because the moment they kill you, I'm going to meet you with a crown of life. Now, isn't that interesting? I don't know any other kings in all of history that have shown up with his people and given them a crown as opposed to expecting his people to give him a crown. And Jesus says, here's the kind of king I am. You die for trusting in me. I'm going to show up at your death and give you a crown of life. You don't have to be afraid, even though these circumstances may create an emotional swell in you that you cannot control. If you'll focus on who I am and you'll trust me and you'll let the things that I say dictate who you are, you're going to be so thankful you did because one day everybody who's rejected me and ordered their lives on the basis of how they feel and what they thought and rejected what I said are going to come under judgment. Guess what's going to happen to you? You will not be harmed by the second death, the judgment of God. You will be free from judgment because you have been forgiven for all your sin. Order your life on the basis of who I am and what I say. It's a far better way. It, in fact, is the only way to life, even in death. When you read a passage like this, I think it hits home with us. And we realize this means we each have choices to make. We have choices to make. Through the years I've had men and women come to me and say to me, my spouse has communicated to me that he or she no longer loves me and that he or she wants a divorce. And I have seen people go through that and act and react on the basis of how that made them feel and what they thought about the circumstances and their spouse who is leaving them high and dry. In fact, not long ago, I had a guy call me up and say that, those very words. My wife is leaving me. She wants to divorce me. It doesn't matter what I do or what I say. She is no longer interested in following me. I'm really upset about that. I've got the kids to take care of. I've got to deal with, you know, protecting myself and started going through all these reactions. And some of them were, you're not going to believe what she did. Because of that, this is what I'm going to do. And there was so much of his actions and reactions that were determined by what he felt about his wife who was now abandoning the family and what he thought he should do in order to respond to the travesty of this brokenness. And I simply reminded him, I don't understand how you feel, 
I don't know what I would think if I were in your shoes. But I know that Jesus knows exactly where you are. That he understands how you feel. He knows every thought that you're having. And he wants you to consider that there's a better way on which to base your actions right now. And I just reminded him, I said, you know, when Jesus Christ decided to love you, you weren't in all that good a shape. You didn't care that much about him. In fact, you had essentially, with all your actions, decided you wanted a divorce from God. You left him, and he pursued you. And he wooed you to himself through his gracious gift. And you today know Christ because he loved you when you were far away. And the Bible communicates that God loves you. And that you are called to be a picture of Jesus' love for the church as a husband. And if you're called to be a picture of Jesus' love for the church as a husband and your wife wants to leave you, as long as there's opportunity for reconciliation, might you consider your actions towards her be determined by what God says and who God is and that you demonstrate Christ's love for her no matter what she does. I can tell you for sure it didn't feel good to him all the time. But I can tell you absolutely that not one moment in his pursuit of his wife as he felt like he was disappointed by following Jesus Christ. And it did not matter what her reaction was. He found joy in following Christ, trusting him to be the first and the last, the one who overcame death and is now alive. And that if he gave his life in pursuing his wife and she never responded, there was never a chance of reconciliation, and he ended his life at that point, he knows that he would never have wasted his life following Christ. You know what he discovered? So he went from bad to worse. You know, their marriage wasn't good before all this happened. And then she laid down the ultimatum, I'm leaving you because this has not been what I wanted. So it goes from bad to worse. And when it gets to the worst, you know what became apparent in his own life? I've been living my life on the basis of how I feel and how I think towards my wife. And all of that's been sowing seeds of destruction in our marriage. And it all came to fruition. And now I've lost it. But now I've discovered there's a better way to live. I can live on the basis of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ and what he says. And that's a far better way to live. When he got to the worst, he realized what he'd been doing. He changed everything about how he's living, and now he's living a different life. The tragedy is that he learned to live on the basis of what Jesus says and who Jesus is a little bit too late to avert the disaster from going bad to worse. And what I'm encouraging us to do today is to learn from somebody else's bad to worse every time we can. And to look at the church of Smyrna and say, here's a story of a people that went from bad to worse. Could we learn something from them, from Jesus Christ today, that would enable us to avoid going from bad to worse and at that point it becoming apparent that we've been living the wrong way? What I'd much rather see happen in our lives is that we do go from living bad to worse and it becomes even more apparent that we've been ordering our lives by Jesus Christ and what he says. That is the way of life. That is the way of hope.
And you know what? Every one of us have areas in our lives where we need to order our lives and our hearts by what Jesus says and who he is instead of simply on the basis of how we feel. And I suspect that many of us in this room need to say, I want the Lord to evaluate how I've been loving my spouse. Have I been loving my spouse in a way that demonstrates my love for my spouse because I've been loved for God? Or am I loving my spouse in a way that demonstrates whether or not I'm happy with how they're treating me? I mean, we've got all kinds of opportunities over the next several weeks to let God test us in this and to shape us to be a people who act on the basis of who he is and what he says. One of them coming up, some of you already maybe early voted. If there's ever an arena right now where people are spewing all over the place based on how they feel, this election is doing it. And I'm just here to gently remind you that what our nation needs, what our community needs, what our city needs is not a bunch of Christians spewing out on the basis of how they feel about the election, but on the basis of who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ says. we got to be a people of hope in a day where hope is hard to find. I want to encourage you to order your life on the basis of who Jesus is and what he says. If you lived in Smyrna back when John wrote this letter to the church at Smyrna, you've might, you might have put two and two together. The, the Greek word Smyrna is the Greek word for myrrh. Do you remember what myrrh is? Myrrh is one of the three gifts that the Magi brought to Jesus when he was just a little guy to honor him as king and to worship him. They gave him this odd gift of myrrh. Myrrh was a perfume used to anoint dead bodies. It was as if the Magi, in their gift to Jesus, was foreshadowing the real reason Jesus was born, that Jesus was born to die. And then in John chapter 19, it talks that Nicodemus came and they anointed Jesus' body with myrrh. But Jesus, the one who was dead, has now come to life. If you lived in Smyrna, you might be reminded, but the namesake of the city in which you live reminds you every single day that Jesus Christ is alive and you have nothing to fear ever again. Isn't that awesome? Jo John um, discipled. A guy, he actually loved God, loved people, helped others do the same. That's what John did that wrote the Re Revelation. That's what he practiced in his life, helping other people follow Christ. And one of his disciples was named Polycarp. Did you know Polycarp became the pastor of the church at Smyrna? John loved Polycarp with the love of Christ and help Polycarp know Christ so that Polycarp would help others know Christ. And there he is in Smyrna, pastoring the church, and he's arrested for following Jesus Christ. And when he was arrested for following Jesus Christ, they demanded that he recant his faith, that he deny Christ. And Polycarp, an old man by this time, he stood there in the midst of his accusers and said, I will not deny Jesus Christ. For 86 years, he has never, ever failed me. I will not turn my back on the king who saved me now. And they tied him to a post and they burnt him alive.
they killed him. But that's not the end of Polycarp's story. No. They tried to kill Polycarp. But the moment Polycarp died, Jesus met him with the crown of life. And today, if we could interview Polycarp and we asked him, hey, are you disappointed about how the way your life turned out? He would say, there is absolutely no disappointment how my life turned out because I decided to order my life on the basis of who Jesus is and what Jesus says. And though they tried to take my life, they could not take what Jesus Christ alone gave me. I am alive forevermore because my Savior is Jesus Christ. Christ. If we are a people who order our lives on the basis of who Jesus is and what Jesus says, no matter what, we will be a people who are never disappointed. Jesus sees your life so clearly. And if you will just see him you will see clearly enough to trust him every step of the way.